This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I am your host, Sabrina Ferminger, and today I am delighted I'm actually sincerely delighted, not that I'm not usually, but I am today, to welcome Catherine Law Hagquist to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Catherine Law Hagquist, who I will probably be calling Cat throughout because I know her, uh, is an award-winning actress, a producer, and an entrepreneur. She founded Biz Books in 1996, and she has more than 140 acting credits to her name, including Continuum, Supernatural, so I know I can say that, I'm a fan, Supernatural, Chesapeake Shores, The Good Doctor, Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries, many, many Christmas movies, and most recently, my new favorite show, Freeform's Motherland Fort Salem. I already warned Kat that I was probably going to spend a significant percentage of today's episode gushing about Motherland Fort Salem, a woman-driven sci-fi fantasy drama that somehow manages to be acutely relevant despite the fact that it takes place in an alternate reality. Motherland Fort Salem imagines a world where, instead of being burned at the stake, the witches of Salem instead entered into a pact with non-magical humans that make them into a celebrated military force. We learn this alternate history through the journeys of a trio of young witches, Abigail, Rael, and Tali, as they are trained to become powerful weapons for the American military. Cat plays General Petra Bellwether, Abigail's mother and one of the highest ranking witches in the military. I love Motherland Fort Salem because I haven't seen anything like it on television before. It, infall, it unfolds in a world that is woman-centric and woman-driven for better and for worse. Pregnancy isn't portrayed as weakness. Marriages are for five years only. Sex isn't a tool of subjugation, but something from which the women derive their strength. The women are as nuanced as women actually are in real life. They're strong and sexual and duplicitous and brave and vulnerable and funny. And these women kick serious ass, but they do so using some tools, some tools we haven't yet seen on screen, including their voice, their actual voice. And as General Bellwether, Kat got to harness her voice and kick some serious ass. Uh, for reference, see episode five. 
Motherland Fort Salem has already been renewed for a second season. So today we're going to talk about Motherland Fort Salem. We're going to talk about Petra Bellwether's on-screen and Kat's off-screen adventures. We're going to play a spirited round of favorite things. Uh, And I'm going to try, (laughs) probably fail, to keep my gushing to a minimum. Catherine, Law, Hagquist, Cat, Cat. Welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Oh my goodness. I just need you to go everywhere with me and be <laughs> my, my hype person. That, that enthusiastic. Oh, So sweet. Thank you so much, Sabrina. I'm not sweet. I'm not sweet at all. I just speak truth. No, you're spicy. You're spicy. I'm, I'm so, Okay. Ooh, I love that. Now, can you walk around everywhere and call me spicy? First of all, Kat, we are in the midst of COVID-19. We are in the core. We are in the midst of possible revolution how are you doing you know um so much is being challenged in the world right now Mm. namely the notion that the revolution will not be televised and (laughs) i believe that uh that that may be something that the projectors got wrong because i think that's where we are i think we're in the midst of of massive change and 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 a re-equalizing about what's important in the world and what our places in it. So yeah, it's you know a little light, a uh, little light living these days. <laughs> now that's spicy. Um, <laughs> so in the midst of of all of this that's going on, you know, art and and film and television is definitely art. You know, is really also reasserting itself as somewhere we go for comfort and also somewhere we go for catharsis and for education. And I'll admit I've watched Motherland Fort Salem twice. Once at the beginning of the core um, and throughout the beginning of the core and also this past weekend. Uh, and it's really interesting watching it, you know, in this particular moment in history. You know, because despite the fact that it takes place in an alternate world, it also has some biting social commentary, you know, if you're willing to be open to it, right? So I have my own opinion on this, but like, in what ways do you think the show speaks to this particular moment in history? I think it speaks in ways that um, I'm not even sure Elliot could have foreseen. Elliot Lawrence, who's the writer-creator of the show and who created this brilliant world in which we get to play. Um, some of the rules around Motherland were that, you know, you can watch all 10 episodes and we, and we never talk about magic. We, we talk about the work. And, yes. uh, and I think that, that that separation from magical thinking into the work of generating what we want to see created in the world around us is, I think, really symbolic and, mm. and amplified in this time where, where people are taking to the streets. Um, I think also the fact that so much of our our work comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, internal power as expressed through our voices mm. um, is also meaningful because I find the images of people in protests with COVID masks on particularly powerful that, that even something that would, would dull or nullify or remove those voices from the public square are, are finding a way to be heard nonetheless and taking that mask with them and still still just making sure they're heard. So. I think that there are a lot of, of parallels that couldn't be anticipated, but hmm. things that strengthen the, the importance of what we're doing now in this world as we take a look at these things. Can we also take a moment to acknowledge and appreciate how well cast 
this show is and the images that we see on the screen because I don't I've I responded like on a visceral level. See, I told you I was going to gush and I'm totally gushing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> but to see, you know, the, the, we saw uh, th- there were South Asian characters there were black characters. There were there were, you know, all manner of white and First Nations and and different body sizes. And it was just so exciting to see the multitude of what a witch and what a woman looks like. Gosh. We, we were actually not missing that as part of that. There were times where we'd be on set and we would all just pause and look around and go, this is so cool. And, and you know, I would be on set with, with Jill Morrison and Linda Coe and we would sit there and we'd go, you know, usually there can only be one of us on a set. Like usually we would be fitting a specific slot for someone like us and here we are working together. And and it, it, was, it was really a very... Um, meaningful work experience separate and apart from the stories being told just because of the community of women who were gathered and how unbelievably supportive they were. It was so, so, um, I don't know, just seeing the Taylor and Amalia and Jessica and Ashley, the, 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 the four women who are the leads that we sort of follow through the, through their adventures, um, just seeing how bonded they were and how there were no, um, undercurrents of of fear-based jealousy like these were sisters and yeah. and I think that the bond they had as women translates into the bond their characters can can demonstrate in the stories and I just I'm so grateful to have had the experience of the work much less the experience of the stories wow we've I mean you brought the you mentioned the work as magic in another context within the context yeah. of the show and now you're talking about it as what you do which is what I love to talk about which is the work the acting work it's amazing I love it um <laughs> I want to talk though General Bellwether about your initial response to this character and what you were able to do in the role of General Bellwether that you have not had the chance to do before I love that she's complicated. Hmm. I love that she is not all that she appears and her motives are not necessarily on the surface and that she has a different approach to motherhood and to authority and to um, to responsibility and to ambition that we don't necessarily get to see as part of a fully fleshed out human being. It usually yeah. sort of falls into, is she nice or is she a bitch? Um, is, is she a mean mom or is she a nice mom? Like it, it gets so, so um, polarized and can live in only one space. And I think with, with Petra, she's been created to show the conflicts of status station and family that mm. she is tied to at every step. Yeah. Um, I, uh, that is one of the things I love about the show. Cause it's called motherland is might as well have been just called motherhood or mother because it <laughs> really like it shows the various ways that like the, the different faces of, of motherhood. I mean, even in the first episode, there's the mother Petra, who's like, okay, go forth and, and own this. And then there's the mother who is, who is absent. No spoilers in the show, but there's, you know, we, we, we learned that in the first episode that Raelle's mother is no longer with her. Uh, and then there's the other mother who would do anything to keep her daughter from going to, from keeping Tali to going into the military, you know? Yeah. And then there's, you know, the, there's, 
there's these the orphans who are you know the the military is their mother and Sarah is their mother you know so that's was exciting and and yeah in your character we do get to see that range and it was episode five uh, which we've already mentioned and which I would love to kind of d- dig a little d- bit deeper in. We get to see Petra bo- being both, you know, the, the general, uh, the member of the North Atlantic family, and then just like in full battle mode, protecting her, her daughter and then protecting everybody else. Like, take me behind the scenes of that battle scene, which was it filmed at Casamia? Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah. I've always wanted to go in there. That's a, it's a big, for non-Vancouver listeners, it's this beautiful, historic mansion that, that very storied, but not a lot of us get to go in there. So very lucky. I'd love to hear more about that, but take, pull back the curtain on the ass kicking that you got to do in episode five and uh, how you, how you pushed yourself and the challenges faced and overcome. I sent you a screen cap. Eh? I was like, because I took like 30 screen caps of just your face because I was like, oh, my God, because I've never seen you like that before. It was so satisfying. I had the opportunity to play um, in that space before. And it, it was it was uh, challenging and mm-hmm. a little terrifying. Um, I trusted our director, MJ Bassett, completely. And she was very clear that she was going to ask a lot of me, but she was going to make sure that uh, that that she had my back and that she made sure we all looked good and so I, it was a, it was a, a trust exercise and going mm. along for the ride. I, I worked with um, Ernie Jackson, who Ernest Jackson, excuse me, uh, yeah. who is the <laughs> yes, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a flashback to thirty years ago, I'm <laughs> Ernest, um, and uh, and he assembled an amazing stunt team. Um, his daughter, Chelsea Mo Jackson, um, taught me with the patience of a saint wow. how to to work the moves and how to add a sense of authenticity. And it and we just took it one step at a time. And I was so grateful to have that opportunity because you 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 want to. It's one of those dreams where you actually want to have the footage while you can of being a bit of a badass. And I think that was one of the one of the lasting gifts I will take away from Motherland was that okay, we got that one done. And I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that there's more of that. I, I think I think the strength is assumed that uh, that only certain people have it and only certain images have it. And and I think when called upon to defend family, we all can dig deep and find that. And so that the space where Petra's a warrior for all is still different from the space where a mom has somebody threatening their kid. And I think that uh, being able to tap into that was was kind of a universal thing. Ooh, I'm getting chills just thinking about <laughs> it. And also, I mean, there, it's very interesting, you know, it's like the, the fact that you hadn't had the opportunity to do that before. And yet now, now we've seen you and you can do it. And so what are you going to do next? I mean, that's really exciting. I know that, and that motherland Fort Salem has been renewed for a second season. You don't know yet what your role is going to be or where, where Petra is going to fit in the, in the canvas. And I'm imagining the tapestry that we see in the opening sequence, but, um, what would you, what are some things that that you would love to see Petra do that you didn't get to do uh, in season one that you want to see do? Okay, I've totally mangled that sentence. What do you want to do in season two? There you go. 
Okay, well, my hopes for Petra in season two there are a continued, a continued evolution of her relationship with her daughter. And and as Abigail's character, or the character of Abigail, continues to evolve and grow, that, that we see that change the dynamic between them. Um, uh, so I'm excited to explore that. I'm excited to explore the the geopolitical um, storylines that are emerging in terms of, 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 you know, what's going on in the larger world mm-hmm. of that motherland is set in. Cause I think that, I think that will be an interesting set of stories given that so much of them will have been developed in this era of COVID yeah. in this era of, of <laughs> reformation that we we're going through. So I think, um, you know, I've, I've been talking with people about other stories and it's like, how do you, how do you write now after COVID? How do you mm-hmm. not have that as a reference point? And so because so much of Motherland has paralleled um, the, what is going on in the world up yeah. until this point um, to it that the 45th president of the United States is played by the amazing Cheryl Lee Ralph, a powerful black woman. <laughs> yes. um, you know, that's a bit of symbolism that I just enjoyed immensely um, as a as a parallel universe um, note. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that tracks, if, if this reality of now has to be reflected even in the parallel reality of Motherland and how how these conversations seep into the other struggles and, and where the spree identify or don't identify with what's going on, where, where the other elements that are emerging as challenges for the witches, where they, where they fit in. And, and if there's going to be symbolism from, from the larger current world. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that. what creeps into the subconscious, right? You know, because yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it, we even look at, you know, Man in the High Castle based on a novel started before the Trump presidency, though. And then, you know, but there were definitely parallels. You saw the rise of fascism and the rise of, of populism. And, you know, it's, it'll, yeah, I'm really interested to see how it'll seep in, you know, and I, I, and whether or not the, the creators have an like an obligation or responsibility to to do so that's like another question but i think that because we all all of us still exist in this world like it's it'll have to bleed in even if we just see it in your eyes you know like, <laughs> yeah. you're, like okay yeah she's calling upon her her uh her covid 19 experiences there were so, i am not the only human being who's gushing about this show i've seen online the response has been electric can you tell me about some of the feedback that you've received from fans and what the fan feedback has meant to you? Wow. Um, it's meant a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's meant a lot to have people exploring the Petra Abigail dynamic as a, as an external, um, take on the mother daughter relationships. I've heard from a lot of people who, who see their mom in me mm-hmm. or, or who see themselves as Abigail in that dynamic. And, and, uh, and so it's also, that's also been a little interesting, you know, seeing most of the characters I, I play in things tend to not elicit a, a negative response in the same way that, that some of the, some of the episodes with Petra early on in particular, where she wasn't necessarily as fully revealed to the viewer. Um, definitely there was, there were opinions that she wasn't um, as supportive as her, of her daughter or there, or that she was cold or that, you know, and, and that, that's interesting to read. And you're like, wait for it, wait for it. <laughs> the five. You know, but you, but you can't give that away. So it was interesting sort of feeling this, 
this connection to where you know Petra's going and then seeing people receive it along the way and having different opinions and going for that ride. And so that was that was interesting for me to, to be with a character long enough to sort of watch that develop. Um, I was really flattered that um, that Motherland released a really wonderful image uh, uh, of an artistic rendering of Abigail and myself for Mother's Day and mm. that we were held up as a as a different form of mother-daughter relationship, but one that's valid. And I, I hope that creates space for for people to come to that dynamic of, of parent and child from wherever they are, as opposed to what they feel those roles need to be. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that hopefully this dynamic has created space for that for others. Yeah, I, I saw that on Mother's Day, and um, I definitely imagined myself as Petra and my nine-year-old as, uh, as Abigail. And um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to take on the world together. We're going to change the world. Um, okay, I want to change gears a little bit, because in the intro, I did mention uh, that you are an entrepreneur. You know, a lot, a lot of people, people who... Uh, well, frankly, before I even knew what Biz Books was, I had seen it. I'd seen your brick and mortar location years ago. But, you know, people who work in the theater scene, the film scene, who are actors who are in in various schools here, like they interact with with Biz Books before in the brick and mortar and now online. Can you tell me about what drove you into into that space and also how your work with Biz Books impacts and informs your work as an actor and a teacher? Oh, well, BizBook started when I when I started acting, I got very involved in um, in the union right off the bat. Mm. I want I felt that I had a responsibility to know more about the business I was claiming professional status in. And so I I got very involved and was able to to represent actors at different events in different cities in, in Los Angeles and in Toronto and in, in New York. And when I would go to those cities on our free time, I would go exploring bookstores and getting resources to bring back to help me in my developing of my craft. And I became aware of the fact that all these cities had great um, hubs of the community that uh, that were knowledge-based and people would come and get books and meet people. And, and I want, I felt Vancouver was missing that. There had been a bookstore um, prior to BizBooks uh, that had been around for a bit uh, and had unfortunately closed. And so we, there was a void in Vancouver. And so in 1996, we opened our, our first bricks and mortar location and uh, were, were embraced by the city and, and then moved in 2001 to our second bricks and mortar location. And uh, that must have been the one I was familiar with. It was yeah, on like yeah. Cordova. Yeah, both were on Cordova. One was on East Cordova, and then we moved down the street to West Cordova. Okay. Um, and uh, and that's yes, that's where I believe we we first met. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot. Um, business isn't personal, um, but you can business can have a personality. It taught me that uh, that brand is different from product, and so um, that that as actors, um, our brand is what. What, pe- what occurs to people when they think of us. And so, mm. you know, as I was learning those lessons from running a business outside of me, I was able to use that as a lens to sort of refocus my efforts as an actor. Um, I, I, I learned a lot, actually. I learned um, about communication and I learned about 
community. Um, <laughs> my husband uh, would refer to sometimes would refer to the bookstore as the as the clubhouse because we have mm. this amazing team of of articulate, intelligent, um, service oriented actors who were part of the Biz Books family there, and and to you know, if I, if I did anything right with that bricks and mortar operation, it was to assemble a group of people who he, now, 10 years after we've closed that, are still amongst my dearest friends. So wow. I, I think there was um, a real sense of community that came out of that, that I hope is carried into the online and, and when we do pop-ups. And, and yeah, you know, biz books, we're Knowledge is power, and I think too often we get siloed in the knowledge we take on as we uh, explore a career in the arts. And I think the broader the base of our knowledge, both within our own industry and about the world at large, the more we have to offer through our art. I think, you know, right now I'm seeing a lot of conversations about, you know, which spaces are held for which conversations and how Mm -hmm. art um, you know, people should just stick to their acting or they should stick to to that thing they do um, and keep the politics out of it. And, and I think I think being exposed to the amount of material I was in, in the store, I, art is political. You know, uh, yeah. we are thought leaders. We are change makers as artists. And I think we have access to the the spaces where people have their guard down. You know, yeah. when you're watching TV at eight o'clock at night, a message can passively enter you that's going to stick with you as opposed to a text at at two in the afternoon. So Mm. I think, I think that was some of the unintended things that I learned, but that I'm really grateful for having benefited from this experience with. Wow. And what a, what a great bridge though, to, well, to another meaning of doing the work, but also like, you know, back to, to motherland, which I mean, Come on, I'm a big fan. I'm going to keep going on and on about it. But, you know, <laughs> you, you love it. Like, I, it just is so heartening um, that, you know, it's it's a show that was created for this young adult space. And yet it's what I love is how multi-generational the women involved are and how there is an entry point for for representation and identification for everybody. Yeah. So I, different ages, you know, I yeah. mean, and but I like I, I'm remembering something that, you know, um, Nichelle Nichols, who who played Uhura on the original Star Trek, she had wanted to quit that show after the first season. And um, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King advised her to stick with the show because it was important that she be seen on the, that the images that people see on television are important, you know, and like what you're talking about, people in their homes at eight o'clock, right? Like they, that's when you can reach people and get into their subconscious and and facilitate their work the work that needs to be done to uh to 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 move us all to the next step yeah well i you know and 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 there's real tangible examples of that like i don't think that we are able to to celebrate the marriages of our gay friends without the work that was put into crafting will and grace will and grace I think there's yeah. a direct line but it, for those you know, couch visits that Will and Grace had once a week into homes and, and the way that the perception of the gay community changed yeah. um, to to allow them a fuller expression of their love and their rights. So I think, you know, we have to, to look to those examples of, of how effectively those stories were and then build on that work, you know, build yeah. on that work. 
and and not just rely on the same model that they may have used, but to, to go, this is what works and how do we make that even more inclusive or even more expanded to have more representation and more people included in the conversation. And yeah. I think... And I think there's an appetite to that. I, you know, it's funny too because whenever there's there's change, there's also a clinging to to what worked before and what uh, what audiences quote unquote will accept. And I think I'm hoping that there are spaces in the industry that are now seeing that diversity is marketable. That that mm. people of color are fully fledged members of society. Um, Shonda Rhimes talks about in her book, you know, that she she doesn't like diversity she likes it as normalization you know Mm. that this is the world around me that i'm not i'm not making it diverse i'm making it look normal and i think i think that's you know the new model of the conversation i hope we're evolving to where it's like this isn't special or token this is just actually what is and so yes yes and could I order Shonda's book through BizBooks? Is that a book that <laughs> yes. I could order through BizBooks? Yes, you could. Yes, you could. <laughs> and yet, here's the thing. And again, because it's being about, about being of service, yes, you could order th- through us, but not going to lie, um, not to go on Miracle on 34th Street and send you to the other store, but there's something magical about hearing her read it. So I actually recommend the experience oh. of doing her audiobook because hearing her in her voice, I also think is a transformative experience because you because she's like an she's like that black friend on demand she's she's (laughs) there and you can hear her and you can get used to the sense and the flavor of of her expressing her story and i think that's really valuable to to hear her as well as to to hear to hear her as well as to hear as to hear her okay capital h okay are are you ready to play some favorite things. Oh, am I? <laughs> oh boy, I like favorite things. Okay, so these questions were uh, prepared by one of the most um, brilliant and demanding humans I know, my nine-year-old daughter, Mari. Uh, and she crafted these because she feels that depending on how you answer these questions, we can get a real glimpse into who you are as a human being. Okay. Okay? Uh-oh. You're ready to play, and you can't think too. You can't think too long about this. You have to just answer from your gut. Okay. Yeah. All right. From really, your gut. From your gut. All right. Welcome to favorite things. All right, Cat. Yeah. What is your favorite song? Oh, don't stop believing by Journey. <laughs> it's, that it's, is so yeah, telling. You know, I, I, yeah, yeah, and I know Bronwyn Smith is gonna gonna hear this and and just be like shaking her head. Um, <laughs> My birthday happened during the time of, of COVID side. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so um, my cousin and Bronwyn and another dear friend of ours, um, they put together, three of them conspired to put together a video of them syncing the song to send to me as a birthday card. So <laughs> whereas it was my favorite song before, it now has even special meaning from this time because, and I, and I actually think it's, the message is exactly what we need right now. Like yeah. we can't, we can't stop believing in, in things can change and things can get better and we can create it what we need. And yeah, so. So you must hold on to that feeling. So what yeah. is your favorite karaoke song then? Or is it the same? <laughs> um, yeah, karaoke. <laughs> not not really my thing, but um, because I'm really not a singer. Um, but I like going and watching people. So I love <laughs> it when other people do anything by Johnny Cash or anything oh. by ABBA. Oh, 
kind of sing because usually that will get enough people singing with it. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash, ABBA, or Neil Diamond. Those are the great karaoke offerings. Those are those are incredible karaoke. I can't say karaoke. Um, what is your favorite way to spend a lazy Sunday in Vancouver? Oh, a lazy Sunday in Vancouver. Um, a sitcom marathon. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I've got it bad for sitcoms. I find um, there's a musicality to the way sitcoms are written, and I find it very soothing. I find even now, um, you know, I've, I've been watching a lot of news, mm-hmm. and I find if I go to, the, go to bed after the news, I, I can't relax. But there's something that I think the laughter, the regulated laughter, and, and I, that's not necessarily the most sophisticated writing, but it's meant to just tap you into that place. And so I find I end my day even now with a few sitcoms just to... Which ones? Like name check some of your favorites. Oh, well, I, I love the Goldbergs. Um, I love Blackish. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I, I will watch Family Guy. I will watch, <laughs> you know, that's animated, but it's still yeah. in that space. Loved Scrubs back in the day when yeah. it was on. Um, Fraser. I'm conflicted about some Seinfeld, but on occasion I'll dip in there. Um, Big yeah, Bang I'm a theory. little conflicted about Seinfeld as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because because you know comedy doesn't really translate internationally as a as a product. Um, sitcoms do as do a bit better with that, but they don't date well. They do, you know. Not, so yeah. I'm looking, you know, looking back at Friends or looking back at Seinfeld through a lens of today. It's like, ooh, someone didn't age well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, when we know better, we do better. So, exactly. you know, they're interesting as a, as a nostalgia piece. All right. Favorite junk food? Che- Hawk and cheesies. I love those. Love that crunch. Okay. Favorite superhero? Favorite superhero. From oh. your gut. From your gut. Oh my gut. Kind of like Batman. That's so interesting. I don't like Batman. What What is it about Batman it? that you like? Um, because he doesn't actually have any like superpowers. He's a mortal. Yeah. He, like he's mortal. He's mortal, and and it's a choice, right? Like I think when you're vested with superpowers, you gotta just figure them out just to not be blowing stuff up as you make your way through the day. <laughs> so when it's a choice. To develop skills, use your your agency and access and cash to try and right some wrongs and do some good. I think that that that's more character driven than powers management. So I kind of like him for that reason. Oh, okay, okay. What was your favorite TV series when you were nine years old? Because my daughter is nine, so everything is through her lens. We were when I was nine. When I was nine, we were living in Uranium City, Saskatchewan. So Whoa. we got three channels. Yeah. Like CBC English, CBC French, and the public access. So <laughs> the my favorite show around then would probably have been The Beachcombers. Um, which also made, you know, having my adult life become about coming to back to Vancouver where I was born and getting involved and then meeting Jackson Davies face to face. I remember that was one of those 
like mind blowing seminal moments where it was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm actually with the people I watched in Northern Saskatchewan as a child and they're treating me with respect and as an equal and like, I deserve to be here. I mean, yeah, that, that was a, a meaningful, a meaningful thread through my life that, that has not been lost on me. Hmm. Okay. In the same vein then, what was your favorite movie when you were nine years old? Huh. I think I may be out on the years. I that I can't remember. I don't know if it was I was nine, but I was in that ballpark, and so mm-hmm. I might be out by a year. So purists don't come for me. But <laughs> the movie that I the first movie I saw in the theater um, that blew my mind and also led me on the path to where I am today was Star Wars. I I remember like the physical sensation of watching the words scroll up the screen and just not even sure how they made that happen and how they could do that. And I just, like, I don't remember breathing for the entire time I watched that movie. And so, so it was around nine, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the movie that stands out as imprinted on you. Well, you know, I love that answer. Okay. (laughs) What is your favorite hot beverage? I love how committed you are to answering these questions from your gut. You're like, yeah, yeah. I really, bone, I got Bone broth, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like bone broth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, cold beverage? What is your favorite cold beverage? Sparkling water. Oh. When you said sparkling, <laughs> I thought you were going to end it a little differently, but water's good too. Oh, water's good. I was going to say every so often a little splash of vodka is not a bad thing in that mix, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I do like I do like bubble water. I I have a a bubble water thing. That's what my daughter water. calls it too, bubble water. Mommy, can you please make me bubble water? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um okay, what is this is the last question. And for my daughter, this is the most important question. So please Give it the respect that it deserves as her most favorite question. I am braced, ready, and leaning all the way in. Okay. What is your favorite animal? Okay. My favorite animal. Right now, I am following on Instagram, Samson the Doodle. And so (laughs) I... I'm in love with those three dogs and the little baby Theo who they live with. Aww. And so, uh, yeah, my current favorite animals right now are, are Samson and his two little brothers. That's a great answer. Because yeah. I think oh. she told me that she thought you were going to say cat because we call you cat. Um, it's, it's funny. So my current favorite animal is Samson the Doodle. But if she'd asked me even 15 minutes before I found that Instagram, <laughs> my answer would have been anything black and white. Mm. From when I was a little kid, I would collect black and white animals. I had panda bears. I had killer whales. Um, I had zebras. I had, because I identified with them. My mom is from Jamaica and is, is uh, Afro-Caribbean. And my dad is English and Irish descended Canadian. So, um, so wow. being black and white I took that on literally 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 so I would collect black and white animals wow so hopefully that will be more with her approval I've I've I've, I've, I think so has been my 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 zen place like when when news is just too much I steal away and will watch 
either a Leslie Jordan Instagram post. Those are delicious and mm. one must run, not walk to his Instagram feed. Mm. Um, but or Samson the Doodle, which just makes just makes the heart happy. Yeah, and we will include a link to everything that Kat's <laughs> mentioned, including to Samson the Doodle's Instagram account. Kat, you'll come back, right? You'll come back and we'll talk some more. I would love to. It's so great talking with you always, but also just to have the opportunity to contribute to and thank you for your amazing work and advocacy on on behalf of the local industry. Your voice is one that leads to an appreciation and an understanding of what we do and helps to dispel the notion that we're a collection of spoiled, entitled entertainment folk, but that Mm -hmm. we actually put in effort and conscious consciousness into what we're trying to do in this business and so thank you for for helping to to reframe that conversation well, about what we do. Thank you for thank you for saying that. You know, I've and it's really funny. I've I've never I mean, if I've met anybody or encountered anybody who regularly works in this industry, um like I have I there's nobody spoiled or entitled. Really, it's like it's really for the most part the most passionate you know, people who are doing this, not, you know, because they love it, because they want to tell stories. You know, it's hard work. The work is hard work. So uh, it's my it's my absolute pleasure. Where can our fans find you and follow you on the social media? <laughs> on the socials? On the socials. Um, on, uh, Instagram and Twitter. I am the cat LH. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you are. It just seemed like a spelling challenge that was unfair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then on Facebook, I'm Catherine Law Hedquist. And uh, yeah, those are my main places. And I, I um, and BizBooks has accounts as well. Yes. And that's BizBooks.net. Yes. And we'll have links to everything. Thank you so much, Kat. Uh, And thank you to our listeners for joining us today. You can find more than 90 additional episodes of the YVR Screen Scene podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can keep in touch with us on the social media at YVR Screen Scene. And you can drop me an email at Sabrina at YVRScreenScene.com. I appreciate you all very, very much. Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information.